0: Who's ready for a new series? It's going to be an amazing month of July. You know, I always get excited for July in Utah until I try to go to sleep on July 1st and all of the fireworks are happening. Anybody else relate? It's like the first night and it's like, oh yeah, this is July in Utah. Which is why I think our, our lead pastors, Jason and Erica, choose to take their vacation in July so that they can actually get some sleep. Uh, we will all make it through July, right? We're gonna, we're gonna do it. It's gonna be an awesome month. And then, as well as you saw, Pastor Jason has several of his friends coming in over the month of July. And so, I want you to um, raise your right hands with me and say, "I'm here for it." So now you've all just agreed to be here over the next three weeks. Get here, get your seats. It's gonna be. An incredible time. Well, I'm going to get set up here, and we're going to jump right in. All right, so how many of you, your favorite uh, your favorite season is summer? Not very many of you. I guess we're in Utah, and it's like winter, right? <laughs> how many of you, your favorite season is summer? Do we have more? OK, there we go. There's a few more hands. All right, how many of you choose to spend your summer around water, like water parks, pools, lakes? Yes, me too. Well, a couple of years ago, um, we were invited by some friends to join them at Cowabunga Bay. Anybody been there? a few of us. So, Calabunga Bay is a water park in Draper, and it's such an interesting water park. It's literally in the parking lot of a strip mall, and then the freeway is on the other side. Um, but we got there, we were invited to attend or hang out with some friends there, and um, my husband couldn't come because of his schedule. And so, we get there, it's what we like to do, is water in the summer. So, this was about four years ago now. My daughter is 10, and she was about six of the time. And we get there and we're doing all the typical water park things, right? We're going down the slides and we're floating the lazy river and um, we're having a good time. Well, we decide that we're going to go sit on the beach entry of the big pool that they have so that the kids can play in front. And Moms, you understand how this works, right? You like go on a play date and you don't actually talk like you talk to your friend, but you don't actually see them because your eyes are fixed on your kids to make sure that they're still breathing and they're still alive and that they're still doing good. Right. So we we were doing that. We were sitting next to each other in the beach entry portion of the pool so our kids could play in front of us. And I took just one moment, or what I thought was just one moment, took my eyes off of my daughter and turned to my friend as we were having a conversation. And in what seemed to be a split second, her son came up to me and said, where's Hannah? And in all of my humanity, my response to this poor little five-year-old was what do you mean where's Hannah? She's with you. Poor guy, I'm traumatized, he's traumatized now. <laughs> well, sure enough, he was not, she was not with me and she was not with him. And I don't know if you go anywhere and like the day is fine and you don't realize how many people are actually around you until you're in crisis mode and you realize, holy cow, there's a bunch of people around me. And she is not anywhere in the crowd, in this pool. And the back of the pool actually kind of like, goes into the lazy river and so in my mind I immediately thought that she is now floating the lazy river barely above water needing some help and I'm not there to help her and so we get the lifeguards involved and we there's strangers next door that want to help us find her and we're all looking for her and we cannot find her And I decide that I need to call my husband who wasn't able to make this trip and let him know that I cannot find our one and only child. So I call him and I'm talking to him and I quickly realize that that was not actually helpful because now I've just stressed him out and he can't do anything about it, right? So um, we're hunting and searching for her. Everybody is looking for her. And I realize that I don't know what to do next. Do I call 911? What do I do? I have no idea what to do next. And so as I'm about to make the call, my friend's husband comes up to me and says, she's okay. She's at the top of the purple slide in line, ready to come down. And so as I called everybody off, all the lifeguards and all of the friendly strangers, I beelined it to the bottom of that purple slide where she was surely gonna meet her mom when she decided to come down. But as I got there, I realized that there's, you know, kid after kid coming down the slide and I finally saw her. I finally see her coming down and I'm watching her come down this slide grinning from ear to ear. And what I realized in that moment is that she had no idea that she was lost. (laughs) She had no idea that she had walked away from my protection, my watchful eye, the safety of proximity to me. She was blissfully lost. (laughs) And I think sometimes As Christ followers, we have some things to assess, church. That God's heart for his sons and daughters in this moment is to make sure that we are so rooted and anchored in him that we are not blissfully unaware of the schemes and attacks of the enemy, the things that try to entice us. So just like the purple slide allured Hannah, we have to be on guard to make sure that we are not blissfully lost as well so there's a few things that I want to look at today in regards to that one of those things is making sure that we adhere to a biblical worldview so we talk about this thing called a biblical worldview or different worldviews but I'm not sure that we actually understand what that involves Okay. So the Barna research group for the last 30 years has had these six overarching subcategories that involve a biblical worldview and I want to share those with you today. The first one is the belief that absolute moral truth exists. The second that the Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles it teaches. Third, Satan is a real being or force, not merely symbolic. A person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or do good works. That Jesus lived a sinless life on earth. And then lastly, that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe. So that is a biblical worldview. Those are the things that we have to uh, process our thoughts with, our actions with, that we have to filter the things that the world brings our way in and through. Those six categories. I want you to listen to this. The American worldview inventory found in 2020, so just two years ago that 6% of American adults adhere to a biblical worldview. 6%. Among 18 to 29-year-olds, that drops to just 2%. And then maybe shocking of all, most shocking of all, is that Christ followers who profess faith in Jesus, who attend church regularly, only 17% adhere to a biblical worldview. Wow. Wow. This is staggering, right? Yeah. So just like Hannah was drawn away by the purple slide, church, we have some work to do to make sure that we are rooted and grounded in the absolute truth of God, that we are not blissfully unaware yeah. and adrift yeah. in it when it comes to our faith. Yeah. If we profess to be Christ followers, there's an assignment that comes with that declaration. We can't just say something with our words and live our life completely different. We need alignment and congruence in that. And as Christ followers, there is an assignment. So that's my title for you today. It's actually a question. Do you understand the assignment? Do you understand the assignment? So I'm gonna read to you Mark 13, one through 13, and this is out of the message. It says, as he walked away from the temple, one of his disciples said, teacher, look at that stonework, those buildings. And Jesus said, you're impressed by this grandiose architecture. There's not a stone in the whole works that is not going to end up in a heap of rubble. Later, as he was sitting on Mount Olives in full view of the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew got him off by himself and asked, tell us, when is this going to happen? What sign will we get that things are coming to a head? And Jesus began, watch out for doomsday deceivers. Many leaders are going to show up with the forged identities, claiming I'm the one. They will deceive a lot of people. When you hear of rumors and Wars and rumored wars, keep your head and don't panic. This is routine history and no sign of the end. Nation will fight nation and ruler fight ruler over and over. Earthquakes will occur in various places. There will be famines, but these things are nothing compared to what's coming. And watch out. They're going to drag you into court, and then it will go from bad to worse. Dog eat dog, everyone at your throat, because you carry my name. You're placed there as sentinels to truth. The message has to be preached all across the world. When they bring you betrayed into court, don't worry about what you'll say. When the time comes, say what's on your heart. The Holy Spirit will make his witness in and through you. It's going to be brother killing brother, father killing child, children killing parents. There's no telling who will hate you because of me, but stay with it. That's what is required. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry you'll be saved so these four disciples are actually asking jesus when will we know that your kingdom will come jesus as the king of kings and the lord of lords when will we know give us a sign and jesus gets into this discourse of explaining chaos and confusion (laughs) would you agree there's high levels of intensity there's chaos and confusion represented in what he said but what he says he cuts through the noise with the mission that they've been placed on and the mission is is that they have been sent as sentinels to truth and if we are his disciples that is our mission as well that we would be sent as sentinels to truth in the world that we're living in, right? In 2022, ten- intensity is boiling up, right? We have chaos and confusion at every everywhere we turn, with every person we encounter. And this is our mission is to cut through the noise and to uphold and defend and declare God's truth. So the Webster Dictionary definition of a sentinel is a soldier stationed as a guard to challenge all comers and prevent a surprise attack, to watch over or guard. So Jesus makes this declaration in Mark 13, and Paul also makes the same declaration to Timothy when he sends his letters to Timothy. Timothy. So in 1 Timothy 6:20 20 through 21, Paul says, "O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it some have swerved from the faith." And then in 2 Timothy 1:14, he says again, "Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us." So in a world where chaos and confusion is rampant, Our mission is to uphold the truth, defend the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? And here's why. John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So our assignment, church, is to guard The truth, not keep it hidden, not keep it to ourselves, but to defend it, to uphold it, to declare it. Why? So that we can walk in freedom and so that those around us can also walk in freedom. So today, I want to call us back to our mission and to our assignment. There w- uh, my hope is is that there would be congruence between what we say with our words, what we think with our thoughts and what we do with our actions, yeah. that we would actually be sentinels to truth, that we would be beacons to the one who has prepared the way, yeah. right? Who has freedom for us to walk in. So I want us to look at three things that we need to reassess as Christ followers, three things that we need to reassess in order to fulfill our assignment to be sentinels to truth. So the first one is, we will not guard what we do not value. So value means to consider or rate highly, to give worth or weight to, So if you value a relationship in your world, you have given them proximity to you. You've also given them permission to speak advice and wisdom into your life. You have given the relationship worth and value, right? As well, have you ever seen in the parking lots of like Target where people receive or they get their new vehicles and they've assessed great worth to it that they're parking way out in the back and there's like 12 empty stalls all around them. Why? Because they've assessed worth and value to this item. We live in a culture where relativism is screaming pretty loudly. Relativism is the idea that there's no objective standard by which we can know truth. It's the idea, so there's no value on absolute truth when it comes to relativism. It's the idea that my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. And my experiences and my mental capabilities are gonna help me produce my truth. And your experiences and your mental capabilities are gonna help you determine your truth. And then I'm not sure what we're supposed to do when our truths don't align. And we wonder why the world is full of chaos and confusion right now. Charles Spurgeon says, he that perverts truth shall soon be incapable of knowing the true from the false. If you persist in wearing glasses that distort, everything will be distorted for you. But as professing Christ followers, we do believe in absolute truth. Right? We believe the truth is not relative to time, location, people, or experiences. We believe that truth is not subject to people's opinion or the culture of the day. Absolute truth is without lack. It's free from imperfection. It's infallible. Nothing can be added to it or taken away from it, but absolute truth is found in God himself. Amen? Amen. So if our job is to guard the truth, We have to first assess the value that we give to that truth. So there's an image that's going to come up on the screen. And this is how I kind of want to describe this to you. So we have the absolute truth over here. And then we have the things that the world presents us, right? Power, position, sex and sexuality, um, identity. All of that is over here. But when we give the worth and value that the absolute truth found in God and his word deserves, the weight is gonna be felt. Everything else that is over here is going to be tested by the absolute truth. So this is not gonna have as much weight in our lives. It's not gonna have as much pull or direction in our lives because we are anchored and rooted in absolute truth. The next image is what we have to wrestle out. If we're not careful, if we're not continually on guard and vigilant, church, what can tend to happen is that the chaos and the confusion that the world presents to us can actually start to, we can actually start to give it weight in our lives. And in giving it weight, we actually devalue And dilute the potency and power of Jesus in our lives and then we sit here in the tension of both because we're sitting here in a place where we have not fully valued the absolute truth of God I have this silent war going on with my neighbor anybody else relate to silent wars with your neighbors (laughs) his backyard backs to my backyard and He has allowed these weed tree things to take over his backyard. And because they're weeds, they like to seed all over the place. And it doesn't take much wind to get those seeds from his backyard to my backyard. And what I have learned is that I have to be incredibly diligent to get out there and pull those weeds. Otherwise my backyard is gonna look like his really quickly. And the same is true of us. We have to be vigilant and diligent to make sure that the things that the world is screaming at us with loud noise, with chaos and confusion, that we are diligent about pulling those things up, comparing them to the absolute truth and getting rid of them from our lives. Amen? Amen. We are sentinels to truth. C.S. Lewis said, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. And if you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. John fourteen six. Thomas asked Jesus a question, and he says, how can we know the way? What was Jesus' answer? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes, to the Father except through me. So Jesus says that he is the truth and he also gives us two ways in which we can know and understand the truth. One of them is the word of God and the second is the Holy Spirit. So since the word of God is absolute truth, it provides the unchanging standard for the course and character of my life and your life. It's the compass of our lives, it's the true north, where relativism says the truth resides in me, God himself says the truth resides in him. So this is where I have to align my life. But here's the challenge, we don't open this very much. We don't devour the word that is supposed to lead us and anchor us to truth. LifeWay Research did a poll amongst Americans, and these were the answers given as to why they don't read the Bible more. I don't prioritize it. I don't have time. I've read enough of it. I don't agree with what it says. I don't see how it relates to me. I don't read books. I'm intimidated by the size of it. I don't own a copy and I prefer other spiritual books. This is a staggering value issue. We live in a day and age where we have every version of the Bible available right here. And yet we have a problem opening it, learning from it, allowing it to lead our lives. We can study in ways we've never studied before. We cannot settle for questions about God and questions about his word. We have the answers available to us. We've got to get in it. So we have to assess the value we place on the word of God the power of the Holy Spirit, and what God has done for us. Listen, God assessed such great value on your life and my life that when sin separated us, he had a plan on how he was going to make a way for us to be reconciled back to him. He valued us immensely. And the same is true of Jesus. Remember that moment when he was like, God, take this cup from me? But he assessed the value of his people, that he fulfilled his assignment and went to the cross. Do we assess the same value to God, our Father, who has such a plan and purpose for us, but we've got to assess that value in our lives, and then our actions will reflect the value in which we have given it. So my question for you under point number one is do I assess the highest value and weight of God's absolute truth in my life? What behaviors point me to that conclusion? So we've got some wrestling we've gotta do, church, right? Not out of duty, but because we have a God who loves his sons and daughters and he's calling us to assess these things to make sure that we are rooted and grounded in him. So number two, we will not guard what we don't secure. So not only has God given us an assignment, but he's also given us the armor that we need to fulfill the assignment. Remember, we're in a battle in this life, right? so let me read to you Ephesians 6 10 through 18 it says finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms therefore with coincidence right so it is by intention and design that the belt of truth would be mentioned first remember Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life so when we buckle the belt of truth in the battle we are securing Jesus close to our lives Paul mentions the armor in relation to a soldier, right? And the Roman soldiers didn't wear a belt that we know. They wore a belt of thick leather and metal that acted as a protective shield for them, as well as a place for them to hang their weapons. Here's our weapon. Here's our weapon. So we have to make sure that the belt of truth is secure around our lives and we need to hang the word of God there to access and be ready for the things that the enemy might bring our way. It says buckle the belt around our waist. It's an action. It's not good enough to be aware of the belt of truth. We have to buckle it. To our lives. We have to look at it and secure it, and it is the centerpiece of our armor, so everything else comes into alignment when the belt of truth is secure around us. It's also a crucial piece of defensive armor guarding our vital organs. To translate that into the spiritual realm, it's a protection for our mind, our soul, and our spirit, that we would not be adrift in the world around us, but that we would be secure and anchored. Without an understanding of the importance of the belt of truth, we won't secure it, and we'll be left vulnerable, and we risk drift. Remember, blissfully lost, right? Ephesians 4.14 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. We'll be anchored. So as I think about the armor of God, and I think about the sandals of peace, which seems like a very interesting thing at first glance, But the reality is is that peace is a gift straight from God. Peace does not come from the world. And one of the things that we do on a daily basis is we've gotta anchor ourselves in peace, right? So it's a gift, but it's also part of our spiritual armor. When we're at peace, we can go about the battle and trust that God's got it. But without peace, And many of us wrestle in our mind and our hearts because we're not anchored in peace. And what we can do is there's a couple of things in our humanity that we end up doing, right? We end up ignoring that the sandals of peace are not fitting our feet right. We ignore it. We think, oh, it'll just fix itself. And then the other thing that we have this tendency to do is we look to the world to fix the feet to fix our armor, and what we have to do, church, is we have to look to the belt, and we have to secure that thing to our lives. That is what aligns the peace that he's given us. That is what anchors us. So we look at the chaos and the confusion. We look at the lack of peace and the levels of anxiety and depression and the things that we deal with in this world. Can I just challenge us not to ignore it, not to look to the world, but can we anchor ourselves to the belt of truth that will align the armor that we have been given? (laughs) We need to get back into the word daily. I'm not talking about the scroll by verse on social media that makes you feel good for about two seconds. I'm talking about digging into the Word of God, devouring this thing because we've assessed value to it and intention to it. I've had this picture, as I've been preparing this message, I've had this picture, um, a zoomed out picture of soldiers on the battlefield And they've got their gear on and they're ready to go. And it's, you know, one big happy family and they're ready. And from a distance, it looks that way. But when you zoom in on the same picture, there's chinks in the armor. The helmet of salvation is not secure. The feet are not fit and ready for battle. The shield of faith is way out back there. Who knows what it's doing, right? But I believe that God understands where we are at as his people. And he knows the things that we need to get attention to, that we need to give our full attention to. And this is the moment because of his love and his affection for his sons and daughters that we've gotta take a look at our armor, church. We've gotta take a look and make sure that we have secured it to our lives so that we are rooted and grounded in him. So my question for you to evaluate with point number two is, have you secured the belt of truth, Jesus, as the source of strength and protection to your life? Or does it need some tightening or adjusting today? And then point number three, we will not guard what we do not truly know. Acts 17, I don't have time to read the whole thing. You can go back and read it in your own time, but Acts 17, verse 16 through 34. Paul finds himself in Athens, and he's waiting on his co-laborers of the faith to join him in Athens. And while he is there, he gets distressed because he is noticing that the people of Athens are idol worshipers. That there's idols all over the place to the point where he found an altar that says to the unknown god and i want to pick up right there in verse 23 it says for as i walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship i even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what i am claiming to what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in the temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would see Seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us for in him we live and move and have our being and you skip down a few verses and because of Paul's declaration of the known God to him some of the people became followers some of the people became followers so paul started to tell them about this unknown god he was unknown to them but he was known to paul paul is an example of understanding his assignment to uphold and declare the truth to people who desperately needed to know him when we understand the value of jesus in our lives and we have fully secured him and his truth we can declare him to those around us and fulfill our assignment. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, and he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's such a bold declarative statement. And one of the reasons why he can say that is because he has congruence with what he declares with his mouth, what he thinks in his mind, and what, he's, what he does with his life follow me as I follow Christ. My hope today, church, is that we would be able to declare the same statement. But my concern is, is that we are saying follow me as I follow Christ with my words, but our actions are saying anything but that. Our actions might be saying follow me as I wrestle around with my identity just as unsure about it as you are. Are we saying with our words, follow me as I follow Christ, but my actions are saying, follow me as I just do what feels good. This is the heart of Jesus, that he would give us moments to talk about hard things because he cares about your eternity. He is the God that doesn't have to be unknown, he can be known. So my hope, church, is that here at the well, under my watch, that the 17% statistic would not be the case, that we would not allow one to drift, one to be blissfully lost, that we would anchor ourselves, assess hard things, and stand firm in who God is that we would be able to fulfill our assignment. And the end of Mark 13, when Jesus says, and do it until the end. You won't be sorry, you will be saved. You will be saved. I'm gonna go ahead and invite you to stand with me as I close out in prayer. But I just wanna say, men, would you anchor your life to Jesus? Your life and the lives around you depend on it. Women, would you anchor your life to Jesus? Your life, your eternity and those around you depend on it? We have young generations represented in this room and we have older generations, and it is imperative now more than ever that we would assess the absolute truth of God, that we would give it the full value and the full weight that it deserves because those around us need to know the goodness of God. We are on mission and we are on assignment, church, and I want us to, every single one of us, get that today. I wanna pray for us today. You can go ahead and bow your, bow your head and close your eyes. And I wanna pray for two groups of people. The first group were Christ followers in the room that need to do some assessment. I wanna pray for you today. If you are longing to get back to the truth, to walk in your mission and design, if you were honest and you would say, I've drifted a little bit, I didn't realize that I had, but I understand my assignment and I wanna rely on the Holy Spirit to get back to the absolute truth for my life. Will you just lift your hand in this place today? Hands all over the room, who else, who else? I'm gonna pray for you. God, I thank you because of your great grace and love for us, that you've given us moments to reassess the track of our life. God, I pray that you would bring us back as your sons and daughters, that we would do the work, that we would align our hearts and our mind and our spirits to you today. God, that we would fulfill the mission that you have sent us on, each individually but corporately as well. And God, you see every hand raised in this moment. God, I pray that you would meet them personally, right where they are, that they would be bold and courageous to do the work necessary, that they could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they've got you in their eyesight, that they are not uh, risking unprotection and drift from you. God, I thank you that you love us so much that you want to secure us to you. And I thank you for this moment. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, for those of you in the room that don't know Jesus, like Paul said to the Athenians, he might be unknown to you, but he's known to me, and I want you to meet him today. If you're saying that you wanna be grounded in him, his truth, his direction for your life so that you can find your purpose and design, I wanna pray for you today. And we're gonna pray this prayer all together as to not leave anyone out. Say, Jesus, I know that I have sinned and have lived life my own way. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead, I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I wanna trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior, as the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name,